BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host. A confident young man. A superb athlete. Gary Seegers. Welcome in. Winning Cures Everything. It is the Monday, August 22nd edition of the show. I am, of course, your host, Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And we have quite a bit to discuss today. Of course, it is week zero. That's right. This Saturday, we will have actual, real-life college football games happening on your screen. One, of course, from Dublin, Ireland. And then there are plenty of other ones that involve G5 teams, etc., that I am pretty excited about. Thursday, we will go through the viewing guide. But in the future, we will be doing the viewing guide on Tuesdays. So, just this week, going to knock it out on a Thursday. Uh, This week's a little different, of course. Let me give you the schedule rundown again as the season begins. Sunday recap show at 9.30 a.m. Central Time, so 10.30 a.m. Eastern. The podcast will come out on Monday. And then we have a Tuesday evening show that will be a podcast only. comes out on Wednesday, but segments will come out on Tuesday. So make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast and the YouTube channel for sure. YouTube growth continuing to skyrocket. We certainly appreciate that. I say we. It's me. It's a one-man show here. So go ahead and uh, and subscribe, share the show out, tell your friends about it. I would certainly appreciate that. If you have not already, go and check out the merch store. I know I've got the banner up there. You can see it up there right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, But go and check out the merch store because I've got some new logos, some new designs, etc. that go on hats and shirts and coffee mugs and hoodies and everything that you could possibly think of all right over there. Very easy to access. A lot of different ways that you can put Winning Cures Everything on something. Uh, But I got some designers to knock out some designs for me. And uh, one of those, I'll actually go ahead and show you if you're watching on the screen, uh, got new hats. And you can see Winning Cures Everything right there. Very nice. Good quality hats. I enjoy it. So uh, go ahead and check that out. But shirts, everything else as well. And going to have a couple more designs coming up as the season progresses. Uh, runyourpool.com that is going to be where our pool will be for week one not going to have one for week zero but week one whoever wins this thing gets a $25 gift card you get a chance to win it every single week you just continue entering in Uh, I will have the link up as we get into next week but schedule again Tuesday night I'm going to do a podcast that will come out on Wednesday morning so Sunday live show 9.30 a.m. Central Podcast comes out on Monday. Tuesday night, going to record, put some segments on YouTube, but the podcast comes out on Wednesday morning. And then Thursday, 6 p.m. Central Time, so 7 p.m. Eastern, going to have a show on Thursday night as we head into the weekend. Going to do some pick 'em, et cetera, give you some picks against the spread, along with 
Uh, what game I think will be the highest rated on TV, what will be the most exciting game, the most likely 10-point-plus underdog that will win outright, all these different kinds of things. So, be prepared. Subscribe now. All right, we have gone long enough. We have got a lot to discuss, and I do want to start off with this. Oregon is in preliminary talks with the Big Ten. And I know that that sounds a little strange, uh, but the tweet from Brett McMurphy here says, Oregon initiated preliminary discussions in Chicago with the Big Ten to determine if the Ducks are compatible in the Big Ten, source told Action Network. Outgoing UO president, who of course is going to Northwest, uh, Northwestern, excuse me, uh, President Michael Schill, AD Rob Mullins, and Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren not involved in any discussions in Chicago, another source said. Now, first off, I don't think it's that crazy to think that those guys would not be involved in these discussions. If they are, in fact, preliminary, which I do not believe that they are, I believe that these discussions have been going on for a while. If Oregon just now reached out to the Big Ten, I I don't know what to tell you. That's ridiculous. As soon as USC and UCLA announced it, or it leaked, or whatever, that should have been something that Oregon jumped on immediately. So I am sure that somebody reached out. And my thought process here is that it's got to be Phil Knight and the people at Nike that have done the initial reaching out to the Big Ten to see what the options are. Now, the Pac-12 has not gotten their media rights negotiation money, uh, their their original options back from what we've been told. Uh, they don't know what their initial offers are going to be from ESPN, etc. Now, we did have uh, Jason... So I can't, Jason Sheen, maybe? I believe that's who it is over at Wildcat Authority. He came out and said ESPN told the Pac-12 that each school would make $24.5 million in their initial offer. $24.5 million per season, which is not where you want to be. I mean, that's that's not even... That's a fourth of, of what these Big Ten teams are making, right? So, uh, my, my question here is, one, why didn't Oregon reach out sooner although I'm sure that they probably have. And two, I don't think that McMurphy got this from an Oregon source. I've never known him to break Oregon news, right? That typically seems like something that Wilner or Canzano, et cetera, would say. In this situation, it seems like... uh, I got to find the motivation, but it seems like the Big Ten, or somebody within the Big Ten, is who leaked it to McMurphy. So, what is the motivation for doing that? And I can't figure that out yet. Uh, It says, Oregon Big Ten begin preliminary expansion discussions in Chicago. And it goes through quite a bit of stuff here. But ultimately, it doesn't give us really any indication of what's happening. I know uh, it says Kevin Warren is doing an interview with HBO Real Sports that airs on Tuesday. And you've already heard some of the stuff out there that Kevin Warren thinks that eventually the Big Ten will be 20 teams as opposed to the 16 that it sits at right now with USC and UCLA. But I, I don't I don't get exactly what the point of this is, unless maybe this is to let Notre Dame know, hey, if you don't hurry up and get involved in this, you may lose a spot. But I don't think that Notre Dame would lose a spot. Just because you're bringing in Oregon doesn't mean that Notre Dame would not be able to come in. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Uh, the other side of this, uh, talking about Phil Knight maybe being involved in this, would Phil Knight and and the guys at Nike possibly be telling uh, the Big Ten, hey, if you bring us in right now, we would take a lower payout, and I, Phil Knight, or Nike, or whoever, would be willing to pay the other portion of that money. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could be going on in these initial discussions. But the bottom line is, this is not crazy. This is not something that's going to happen immediately. It's a big headline, but it doesn't necessarily equate to anything of substance as of right now. And that's what we're looking for, is something with substance. You know, when will this actually happen? I don't think that the Big Ten is going to expand right now after just signing that new deal. Maybe in two years, when USC and UCLA actually join, maybe that makes sense. But as of right now, I don't know that there's anything necessarily to this, and it's nothing that is going to happen uh, anytime soon. 
I will certainly say that. Now, staying on the subject of realignment, etc., the Florida State president said that the Seminoles will be very aggressive in conference realignment. It says uh, the comments came in the aftermath of the Big Ten signing the largest media rights deal ever by a, colo- uh, by a college athletic conference. Now, let me go on and scroll down here. Uh, it, it says, uh, no game day reported Florida State's in the process of exploring a move to a new conference. The Seminoles have had discussions with the SEC and the Big Ten since last summer. Both conferences have displayed an interest in adding the university to their group of current members along with the schools in the ACC. Uh, I, Richard McCullough commented while speaking at the Tallahassee Chamber of Commerce on Saturday. He said, Florida State will be aggressive in its pursuit to remain competitive. It's something I'm spending a lot of time on, and we're getting a lot of help, McCullough said. We're trying to do anything we can think about how we can remain competitive. Uh, Florida State is expected to win. We're going to be very aggressive. Now, is that something that you just have to tell people? Uh, do you just tell your your guys at these booster clubs, at these uh, chamber of commerce things, at these quarterback clubs, et cetera? The, the touchdown clubs, whatever they're called in each place. This one's a Chamber of Commerce thing, but obviously lots of Florida State alums, et cetera, that would be at a meeting of that sort. And a lot of them booster types, et cetera. They want to hear that you are trying to do something. Florida State is involved in that ACC grant of rights that has locked them in until 2036. Unless something else happens, I don't know that Florida State will be able to get out of that deal. Right, We talked about the fact that they just signed. I talked to uh, Bob Thompson about it on the show, not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before that. And there's a company that they signed, I think it was Fishbait, uh, somebody that they signed with to come up with other ideas for them to maximize their value, other ways for them to bring in money that they maybe haven't thought about yet or that they are not taking advantage of that ESPN does not currently own the rights to. Right, There's got to be more ways for them to pull in money besides getting that thing renegotiated. Because the bottom line is this. You have to have more than 50% of the conference be willing to sign off on something to dissolve the grant of rights. How many programs would actually benefit from that grant of rights going away? You need eight teams to sign it. I don't think there's eight teams in the ACC currently that would benefit from that grant of rights going away. I, I just don't. I don't think you're going to get eight teams to go to either the Big Ten or the SEC, and nobody knows what's going to happen with the Big 12 or the Pac-12 right now. So why would you tear up that grant of rights before you know exactly what's going on? If Florida State gets to, he gets an invitation to go somewhere else, then okay. But how does that help out a school like Boston College? How how does it help Syracuse, right? You have to figure out where the motivation lies for the people that actually hold the power. The people that hold the power are the ones in the ACC that will not be getting invites to the Big Ten or the SEC. Just the truth of the matter. So I'm not sure exactly why the Florida State president came out and, and talked about being aggressive. You can be as aggressive as you want to, but if you got a contract that you were locked into, there ain't much you can do. So I, I am curious to see what ends up happening. I'm also curious to see... Would the SEC bring in Florida State? A lot of people talk about that. but And they did. Florida State did have an opportunity back in the late 80s, early 90s to actually join the SEC, and they didn't. They thought their path in the ACC would be easier. So I understand that aspect of it, but uh, but would Florida and, and that bunch be willing to bring in Florida State? Eh, it's a good question. It's a very good question. Let's see. Before we jump to an ad, uh, I do want to talk about the Big 12. Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark said, this conference is no longer going to be stagnant. Now, let me go ahead and pull up the, the article here. It's in the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. And basically the situation here is uh, Yormark was interviewed by the Lubbock Avalanche Journal while he was on a tour of some of these Big 12 college campuses. He's going around to get an idea to sit down with the decision makers at some of these colleges to figure out exactly what the identity of the Big 12 is, what it can be going forward, ways to improve the value of the conference, etc. Right? He, he wants to get an idea 
of who he's working with. That is a typical, typical thing. Makes perfect sense, and it's really a good business decision to know what you're getting involved with. And he's already taken the job. He's already the guy, but you got to go around and, and have a, you know, put your feet on the ground a little bit. So he goes through, and there was a question here. It says, what are your ideas on building a brand, or particularly, as you said, being more national? How do you be more national? He, this was uh, part of the the question here. Um, that uh, You said on Big 12 Media Day, there's no higher priority than to best position the Big 12 for its upcoming media rights negotiations. Everything we do must create momentum for those no, uh, negotiations. How do you go about that? What steps can you take to make the Big 12 more attractive in the next couple or three years? Is there a finite list of things you can do, or how do you go about that? Your mark said, I think there's many things we can do, but I think building the brand, being more national, being more relevant, connecting to youth culture, expansion, I think all those things and more can create value for us as we head into those negotiations. Now, this continues on, and I'm going to go ahead and read this because I think it's important. AJ, what are your ideas on building a brand or particularly, as you said, being more national? How do you be more national? Your mark said, I think being more national means who we strategically align with. Potential scheduling partnerships with other conferences, looking at some of our tentpole events and saying, do we do something more creatively with them from a location point of view? I think there's lots of things we can do, and I'm exploring every and all options right now. So let's kind of tear this down. Potential scheduling partnerships with other conferences. Who who are these other... like? The initial thought was that you might be able to work with the Pac-12, right? Now, even without USC, maybe you could do some kind of, uh, some kind of a scheduling agreement with them. But the way that things have gone with this realignment cycle, I don't know that that's going to be possible because Klyovkov did not seem enamored with the way that the Big 12 has gone about things. So if you can't get one done with them, do you try and do a Big 12, Big 10 and scheduling partners, like, you know, I, I want to know what these things look like. It says, looking at some of our tentpole events and saying, do we do something more creatively with them from a location point of view? So do you move around the Big 12 basketball conference tournaments? I mean, I think you already do that somewhat, uh, but do you find different ways to maybe take it to Las Vegas? Do you take it out, you know, at all these other different places? Do you let people bid on it? Uh, that's going to be a big question mark there, uh, along with the Big 12 football championship game. Do you maybe take it down to Florida one year? Do you, instead of putting it into a you know, neutral site location, do you maybe make the Big 12 title game something similar to where you know, the Mountain West or whoever does it, right? Where one of these teams is the home team. And there's a lot of questions about this. So he says he's exploring every and all options right now. And at least I'm very glad that he's at least taking a, a shot at this and just throwing everything out there. Like, we are not set on anything. We're just going to try it out. Other question here, it said, you got a lot of attention on Media Day for your Big 12 is open for business comment. How has that been received? He said, it's been received, I think, in a very positive way. Open for business doesn't mean just expansion. Where I think some people read into it that it was very much focused on expansion. That's not necessarily the case. When I say open for business, it means that this conference is no longer going to be stagnant. We're going to be very proactive. We're going to explore and identify any and all opportunities uh, that create value in every respect. Is expansion a part of open for business? 100%, but it's only a small piece. So the conference is no longer going to be stagnant. We're going to be proactive. I get that. I get that. I, I think that he's saying all the right things, but I don't know that they are in a position of power at this point, right? The Big 12, obviously it looked like there could be some Pac-12 schools that would leave for the Big 12, but I don't think that those Pac-12 schools want to join the Big 12. They will join out of desperation if, for instance, Oregon were to leave the Pac-12. If you get down below 10 teams, everything splinters, and then you start to move over, and everybody has to find a home quickly, right? I think in that situation, yeah, you might see Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado go to the Pac-12. I mean, excuse me, go to the Big 12. 
It's a it's a strange interview that they did, and it almost felt like Yormark didn't know exactly what all to say, or he didn't want to say anything, but he knew he had to play nice with the media. And I, I get that. I totally get that. But I don't really know what the purpose behind the interview was uh, because there are way more questions that I have now than I had even before, right? He All, all he did was actually put the questions out there. Like, ah, we're looking into this. We're looking into this. We're wanting to do this. Uh, maybe we'll do something along these lines. It's all open. It's all out there. And like I said, it is cool that he's at least willing to uh, open up and, you know, be willing to do something different than what they did before. But still, a lot more questions than we have answers right now. All right, let's hit some ads. We'll talk about SEC scheduling on the other side. Let's check out some things you should know about. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, gambling picks, merch, the gear we use, and more. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit betustv.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com slash store to see what all we've added. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And now, back to the show. All right. The SEC apparently, reportedly, has support for a nine-game conference schedule. That would be three permanent opponents and six rotating opponents so that you play all 15 other teams once Texas and Oklahoma join, all 15 other teams in the conference twice within a four-year span. We've been talking about it for a while. I, I saw the case for a 1-7 format for the schools that are not exactly, uh, how do you, what's a good way to end this statement without it hurting somebody's feelings? I don't know that there's a way to. I, I think... It would have made sense to keep four non-conference games for some of the teams that do not routinely get top 20 recruiting classes year in and year out, right? There is a there's a tier level in the SEC. And those that might be in tier 3 and tier 4 might want to make sure that their non-conference schedule includes four games that are all winnable, right? And this is also difficult for teams like Kentucky that have a team such as Louisville that is a constant rival. Florida the same way with Florida State as an end-of-the-year rival from another conference that counts as one of their non-conference games. The schedule just got more difficult for those teams. But regardless, uh, it appears that there is support for a nine-game schedule, and the reasoning behind that sits here in this Chris Lowe article over at ESPN over the weekend SEC leaning toward nine-game football league schedule, which, quote, not only adds value for TV, but protects season ticket sales. I found this incredibly interesting. And not because of the subject matter so much, uh, because, you know, we all knew it was either going to be 3-6 or 1-7. The, the SEC scheduling format was going to be one of one or the other. It says... It protects season ticket sales, donations, and college football playoff access for more teams. One SEC athletic director told ESPN. I think this is very strange. 
another league source said there were a few schools on the fence between eight and nine games back in May during the SEC spring meetings, but added, I think there's ample support now to get to nine. More rivalries can be played on an annual basis, and the content that an extra league game would provide for TV would mean a lot more money. That's a very interesting statement, right? Because initially, it was reported that a ninth SEC conference game for each team would not include any additional money from ESPN. That had not been agreed to at that point. So at that point, why would they? Why would they include that? It appears that ESPN has let it be known to some of these ADs, hey, if we get that ninth conference game, uh, we might be willing to uh, bump you up maybe to, say, uh, Big Ten levels. Big Ten numbers. We can talk about it. But it's strange that all of this changed right around the time that the Big Ten got their media rights deal finalized and announced to the world, right? Uh, Somebody at ESPN let something be known. Now, tell me this. Where... This is a conflict of interest, right, for ESPN to be reporting this story about the SEC conference game, right? Not so much the news that they might be moving to a ninth conference schedule, but hearing something like this where more rivalries can be played on an annual basis and the content that an extra league game would provide for TV would mean a lot more money. Is this ESPN trying to let it be known that, hey, we're going to make sure that the SEC remains at the same level that the Big Ten is, et cetera. Like, what, what is going on here? This is just a really strange... Like, at some point, if you're ESPN, uh, do you do you try and not comment on this? Like, I know you want to get ahead of it. You want the clicks. You want all that. And I'm not saying that Chris Lowe does a bad job or he's just some lackey for ESPN. Chris Lowe's been a really, really good writer for a long time. But it's it's strange that all of these coaches that initially were talking about, hey, we have to have four non-conference games. Uh, We already play in the toughest league in the country. Why would we move to nine when it's already a murder's row of opponents every year? And now they're all switching over. Like, I'm just, I'm so confused at this. Uh, This one, at Texas A&M coach Jimbo Fisher told ESPN this week he thinks nine games is probably the best scenario. That way you can keep alive the rivalries and the secondary rivalries because in this league, the secondary rivalries are almost as important as the primary ones. Yeah. <laughs> Missouri's Eli Drinkowitz said this summer, to me, it has to be a 3-6 model. Why is the Missouri coach saying that it has to be a 3-6 model? I mean, that's absurd. Like Missouri has no natural rivals in the SEC whatsoever. Uh, unless they think, unless Missouri believes that they're going to play Oklahoma Texas and Texas A&M every year or toss in Arkansas or whatever. How is this good for Missouri as far as wins and losses? Like, I, I'm, I'm so confused at this. I, you guys jump in the comments if you're watching on YouTube and tell me, uh, th- is this not conflict of interest for ESPN to be reporting this story about a conference that only has a media rights deal with ESPN? That, this is strange, right? I know that I sound a little weird about this, but, you know, it just it feels like maybe ESPN is trying to send some kind of a message. Like, like ESPN maybe should not have been involved in this particular story. And I know that they don't want to give the story away, but my God, it just... It, it, something doesn't sit right with me on this. And I don't know what that is yet. Maybe you guys can tell me. But it, it feels... Really weird. When I read it over the weekend, I said, what, what is what is happening here? All right, we'll hop off of that. Uh, my apologies for going long, but my God, uh, just a, the way that media is done nowadays is very strange. And I say that as a guy that's sitting in my office talking to you. So, regardless. Moving on. I talked last week about Mark Stoops deciding to uh, maybe clap a little bit at Shane Beamer. And we have the rebuttal Make no mistake about it. The climate in our facility is hot right now, but the culture is a hell of a lot hotter, said Coach Shane Beamer, obviously in response to what Mark Stoops said last week. Uh, Now, this was actually said at SEC Media Days. Mark Stoops talking about uh, stupid sunglasses, etc. 
Regardless, uh, maybe you can actually hear it. Uh, but I will, I will play it. I will actually unmute the site and let you hear it. But the culture is a hell of a lot higher than only getting started. We will see you in two weeks. Go Gamecocks. Yeah. Yeah. We have a rivalry brewing. And I'm excited about this. Uh, these, these are two programs that at different points have been incredibly successful. And the fact that Shane Beamer's playing into this and these guys are, are ready to, you know, Strap them up. I'm ready. I'm ready. Like, let's go. I'm glad that Shane Beamer didn't just decide, eh, we're going to let be, you know, bygones be bygones. And Mark Stoops came out and did say, eh, that wasn't exactly about Shane Beamer. It was about me when I initially started at Kentucky and I was wearing sunglasses. And, and like, come on, just tell the truth. Just be honest with us. And we will appreciate it much more. I know I do. I thoroughly appreciate this. It is really really fun to watch so moving along we have some interesting stuff going on in knoxville tennessee brew mccoy a transfer wide receiver former five-star receiver that has been it feels like all over the country right he's been at a ton he was at texas he was at oregon for a you know a couple of seconds drink of water then he moved over to usc and now he's decided he wants to transfer over to Tennessee. Uh, but apparently, somewhere along the way, USC didn't want this to happen or something. It, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But this here official statement from USC says, USC has, consistent with NCAA rules, promptly and accurately responded to all requests from the University of Tennessee related to the eligibility of Brew McCoy. At no point since Brew entered the transfer portal in January have we objected to him being made immediately, uh, immediately eligible to play at Tennessee. The issue of Brew's eligibility ultimately rests with the NCAA, and we wish him the very best. Now, first off, is this not really strange that an entire athletic department account decides that they are going to comment on one player that decided to transfer? This goes back to Tennessee and the Tennessee fans that are eh, a little crazy, a little excited. They posted on some of these message boards and told everybody to go and email Mike Bone over at the AD at USC because he was the reason that Brew McCoy is not eligible yet. And they might be right. They might, I, don't, I don't know what the full deal is here. Uh, we're going to get to a couple of different things here in a second, but... Uh, you know, Tennessee fans apparently bombarded that email or that Twitter account enough that USC felt like they had to make a statement. I've never seen anything like that when it comes to another player's eligibility. But uh, looking at some of the different things that have gone on here uh, over at VolQuest, Austin Price uh, decided to put this out there. He said, uh, since they want to post their same half-truth statement, I'll post the deal again. He said, that was good reporting by Trey Wallace. USC obviously felt some pressure because of all Twitter and emails and so, or so on and so forth. With that said, their statement is bathed in half-truths as they can still control his eligibility with a signature on an NPO. That is a non-participation opportunity form. USC had indicated multiple times to both Tennessee and the family that they were going to do so, but now have refused to do it and have put this on the NCAA. Their statement was in support of Brew and to help with Tennessee's appeal, but they could have easily made this one-stop shop by signing the NPO. Now, that's some pretty big allegations. Uh, but also, I, I really only have one question here, and that is, what are we doing? Why is this still a thing? Like, it... If this is the reason that he is not eligible, then the NCAA needs to fix this. Once a kid goes into the transfer portal and decides to leave one school for another one, how would that other school have anything to do with the eligibility of the player being able to play immediately now? Like these things have changed. So I'm I'm very confused as to what is actually going on here. 
and and obviously we need more details, right? And if anybody knows them, I'm sure that there are Tennessee fans that actually watch the show or that listen. Jump in the comments. I want to know what's happening here because I have tried to find more information and Hypel didn't say anything. Danny White, of course, is not going to say a word about this. Uh, all you get from USC is that, which is in and of itself really strange to comment on somebody that transferred out of your program a long time ago. This is weird. This whole thing's weird. Maybe I'm crazy. You guys tell me. I don't know. Uh, tell me what's going on with Brew McCoy because, golly, just weird stuff. All right, we've got a couple of things that we're going to clean up on the backside of this, but, uh, but check this out. Let's check out some things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures, and you can follow Gary at Gary WCE. You can also follow on Facebook. Got your own podcast or web show? Looking to start one, or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show too. Subscribe on YouTube to get not only full Winning Cures Everything shows, but individual segments and other goodies as well. We're over 6,000 subscribers, and our goal by the end of the year is 7,500. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com, and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now, back to the show. All right. A couple more things that we need to hit on. Scott Frost. What are you doing? What are you doing? Scott Frost came out last week, and of course it was a huge ordeal. I think it was last Thursday. I was trying to decide whether or not we wanted to talk about it on the show. Ultimately decided not to, but I got to hit it now, right? He came out last week and talked about the offensive line and the great job that the new coach is doing with the offensive line and he's working them so hard that they are puking 15 to 20 times a day. And it's not because they're out of shape. It's uh, it's because of how hard they're being worked. And I think in today's day and age, we all understand that that's not a good thing, right? So it immediately threw up red flags to all of the college football media. And, hey, if these guys are really throwing up that much, like that's kind of not what you're supposed to be doing like we we've had lawsuits about this, right? Willie Taggart just had to go through this with the player that was worked too hard at Oregon. I mean, it, it, this stuff really happens a lot, so it's not exactly something to be bragging about, right? First off, I don't know why you would even say it because it did sound like he was bragging about, oh yeah, we're working them real good. Like they they're going to be strong men when this gets done. It's like, okay, this isn't this isn't 1986 anymore. Like let's let's figure this thing out. But he came out today and had a press conference right before they head to Ireland, of course, for the Northwestern game, and said, yeah, I was exaggerating a bit, but I just want to reaffirm to everybody we've got a great strength team. Uh, We have everybody measured. We have, you know, all of the – we have watches that do this stuff now. Everybody knows what the metrics are and this and this and this and this. Uh, It just comes off as buffoonish. And I'm pulling for Scott Frost. But to not know that this would be some kind of a media firestorm, uh, there are a lot of people that are paying attention. College football is a very passionate sport. There are people that are living and dying on every word that these coaches are saying. And there are media people that are that have those little antennas up for any time something like this pops up where there might just be a story that they could dig into, right? You had to know... And then to come out and just admit, all right, look, I was lying. Like, I was trying to sound tougher, and it makes you look worse somehow. I just don't understand how you can't figure that out at this point. Uh, I'm hoping that Scott Frost does well this season. Because i I, I got to tell you, those Nebraska fans are diehard. They have been uh, viewers of our channel for quite some time. I say our, my channel, for quite some time. For Winning Gears Everything. And... They love their school, and they love their football program, and they support no matter what is going on. That team went 3-9 and nine last year, and they don't give a rip. They are still selling out Memorial Stadium the first three games of this year against nobodies, and it doesn't matter, right? They are supporting their football team, 
Yeah, you should really go listen to the Split Zone Duos in what's it called, a deep dive or whatever into Nebraska's program. Very interesting stuff. Very interesting. But uh, but I love Nebraska fans, and and I hope that Scott Frost does well because he is a native son. But man, stuff like this does not help. Absolutely does not help at all. All right. John Emery, LSU running back, academically ineligible, uh, 2021. Now, apparently, uh, let's see if I can pull this thing up here. He has been suspended for the first two games of the season, sources told The Athletic. This is from Brody Miller. Uh, But it says that he is trying to appeal. Now, the tweet is a little bit misleading here. If you actually go and open up the story, it says that the school is trying to appeal it as well. Brian Kelly's not going to comment on it, etc. Um, but they, like, Kelly and the LSU staffers have raved about Emory uh, basically all offseason. He said, I'm really, progress, uh, I'm really proud of the progress he's made since my short time here in making that happen. Kelly said in spring, they were going to see him play for us this fall because of that, and that's all on him, right? He, he had to make that decision, and good for him. Now, this is all because of the fact that he missed some time last year because of the academic stuff. This all stems from the COVID season, right? Lingering issues from last fall suspension led the NCAA to keep Emory out two more games. Uh, They are attempting to argue, according to sources, that Emory meeting academic standards since he's been surrounded by new coaching and support staffs should mitigate the punishment, and they expect to know more in the next week. Uh, It says that it was rooted in the extreme hardship he faced through the COVID-19 pandemic. He fell behind in classes as his stepfather, Webster Garrison, spent much of 2020 hospitalized on a ventilator due to complications from COVID-19. Garrison suffered strokes and kidney failure, and two years later, Garrison is still struggling to regain his health. Uh, Emory's grandmother also died in 2020, and Emory had COVID-19 twice that year. It's a lot to go through. Now, the lawyer, Don Jackson, of course, talked about it's uh, it's immoral to put this kid through this, to not let him play, etc. But the NCAA held it up multiple times. But it appears now that he's still going to have to miss time. We'll see what ends up happening. But everybody thought that Emory was going to be a huge part of that offense this year because of the stuff that Brian Kelly and, and Mike Denbrock have been saying about him. And now, to not have him for the first two games... Doesn't matter so much in week two. Week one against Florida State, that's going to be pretty big. Pretty big. So it, it does fall back on the Penn State transfer, Noah Kane. And uh, and then I believe you've got, uh, who is it? Is it Goodwin? Godwin? What's uh, what's the other guy? I do not know. Oh, LSU junior cornerback Ray Darius Jones has also been suspended for the entire 22. I didn't even see that before. Mm-mm-mm. So anyway, um, you do have some guys. You got some guys that can run. That'll be okay. But, man, losing Emory really hurts. Really, really hurts. Uh, also, Lynn J. Dixon. We have seen this a time or two. He is no longer at Tennessee. He basically stopped in, had a beer, and back out the door. Uh, he, he transferred in from West Virginia. He transferred from Clemson to West Virginia last year. Or this well, this season, whatever this for this upcoming season. Apparently, he was not going to be the starting running back, so he left West Virginia and joined Tennessee just a couple of weeks ago. And now, I mean, there's rumors about stuff that happened maybe on the field. I, I don't even know exactly what was going on, but Tennessee probably could have used that running back depth, and they no longer have it. So, regardless, uh, I will close out with this: we have some QB ones to talk about. Tyler Shuck is going to be QB1 at Texas A&M. Excuse me, Texas Tech. Boy, that would be something, wouldn't it? (laughs) Texas A&M announced that Tyler Shuck was going to be their guy. We would all miss that. Uh, John Rice Plumley, John Reese Plumley, however you say it, the new UCF QB1. So he will be starting for Gus Malzahn over the guy that started for him last year, Mr. Keene. Drake May is going to be the starting quarterback for North Carolina. I think we kind of expected that, but regardless, there were there were questions there for sure. Charlie Brewer is going to be the starting quarterback at Liberty. Now, Ed, 
Charlie Brewer, it feels like, has been in school for forever. He was part of the 2017 class. And for those that don't know, actually, I would like to pull this up right now um, just to show you the class that Charlie Brewer was in. Uh, Charlie Brewer 247. So if anybody's still watching at this point in the video, thank you. Thank you for supporting. Subscribe to the channel and uh, and like the video for me. But uh, But Charlie Brewer... It, you know, he went from Baylor to Utah, now to Liberty. But let's take a look at his recruiting profile. He was number 18. He was the number 18 pro-style passer, a three-star in that class. 2017. This is a trip down memory lane, right? Davis Mills, already in the NFL. Jake Fromm, been in the NFL for two years. Hunter Johnson, who is now back at Clemson, but he transferred to Northwestern, and then back to Clemson. He's going to be like a graduate assistant or whatever this year. Miles Brennan, of course, uh, just retired from football. Jack Sears, who started at USC and then went to Boise State. Dylan McCaffrey. Uh, James Blackman, who, of course, is now at Arkansas State. Tommy DeVito, uh, who was at Syracuse and is now at Illinois. Chris Robinson, who went to FAU after Oklahoma. Kenny Pickett who was just drafted, uh, who everybody thought had been there forever, but obviously had not. Sean Clifford, who is going to be starting for Penn State this year. Uh, but a few other names on here. Here, number 17, right ahead of Charlie Brewer, Mac Jones, who is a starting NFL quarterback now. Uh, just bananas. Oh, I did find some other interesting ones. Uh, if you look down at number 32, Jelani Woods, who... Trent, or who who was at Oklahoma State? Uh, yeah, he's a he's a tight end now. So, <laughs> who plays for the Indianapolis Colts? Uh, he he transferred to Virginia as a tight end. I mean, just crazy, just crazy. Um, so yes, very interesting stuff when you go back and look through all of that. But uh, but yeah, Charlie Brewer gets the QB one spot at Liberty for Hugh Freeze. And I'm sure that Freeze will find a way to be successful with him because Freeze is successful with me at quarterback. I mean, he just always finds whatever somebody's good at and lets them do it over and over again. The one that I did want to bring up that we didn't talk about the last time, Quinn Ewers is QB1 at Texas. Now, we had talked about the fact that Hudson Card appeared to be outplaying him at practices. And I I have questions about Quinn Ewers. It it was a weird announcement, right? The SID came in in the middle of, you know, player interviews and, and whatnot and just, you know, doot, 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 breaking news. Just so everybody here knows, Quinn Ewers has been named the starting quarterback. And none of the players that were there applauded. Nobody smiled. It was just, and maybe they all already knew, but it was really weird. Right, it was it was a strange time to announce it. It was strange the reaction. It, everything about this was weird, especially when you had heard all of this momentum for Hudson Card. Now, of course, there is speculation. You could dive into a lot of different things about this. Was it a booster that maybe wanted to make sure that yours is the guy? Was it Sark uh, for you know talking to boosters? I, maybe there's something going on here that we don't know about. The bottom line is this. I think the fact of the matter is that Quinn Ewers gives you a better opportunity to win than Hudson Card did. Hudson Card got beat out by Casey Thompson last year. You already knew what you had with Card. So if you know that he's making the same mistakes over and over again or whatever, it's not like Card's a bad quarterback, right? He just may not be good enough for Texas. And Quinn Ewers may be really young, but you know that he's got the higher ceiling. So I would imagine that that's how that went. But I would still imagine that we see both of them play this year, right? And that's just a guess. So who knows? Who knows what to make of it? Uh, do any of these quarterback changes move the needles? Or move the needle or, or, you know, change my opinion on any of these teams? No. Like, for Texas Tech, Donovan Smith or Tyler Shuck, I still would have maybe felt the exact same way about that team. Um, Plumlee or Keene at UCF? I mean, Keene was all right last year, but he didn't seem to grasp Malzahn's offense uh, great, so it's not surprising that somebody else was able to transfer in, especially a guy that is much more known for his running, you know? Uh, Drake May? 
I mean, it, him or Criswell, like I, I think, I think May's probably the better guy. They've been, you know, kind of building him up for this spot for years at this point. Charlie Brewer, I mean, he's been around forever. Like he's been in a bunch of different places. Veteran guy, I mean, it makes sense. And then Quinn Ewers, he's the highest ranked recruit in two four seven sports history. Uh, bottom line. So obviously, there's got to be a reason why he's the starting quarterback now. I will say that. All right. You guys have been great. Absolutely great. I do appreciate your support. Continue watching the show for us. Watch the BetUS Week Zero preview show, uh, picks show, on Tuesday, 12 p.m. Central, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Go over to the BetUS channel. There is a link in the description for it, so you can find it very, very easily. But definitely go knock that out for me. I would certainly appreciate it. Myself, Parker, and Kyle certainly would. All right, with that said, make sure, again, that you head over to the merch store and grab you one of these babies right here. It's less than 20 bucks. Just saying. You're not going to find a better deal. So go ahead and head to the merch store. Check those out. Uh, we got many more big things coming up this week, and I will announce them probably on Thursday. So with that said, we're going to get out of here. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other, and hopefully, all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, and make sure to leave a nice five-star review. You can follow Gary on Twitter, at GaryWCE, and the show is at Winning Cures. Be sure to check out the merch in our web store and share the show. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.